0: Today's show begins with a story that, without a COVID-19 pandemic, would no doubt be dominating our headlines. It's the ongoing struggle with China, the two Michaels, Meng Wanzhou, extradition, Huawei on our 5G network. To bring in somebody who's definitely been all over this subject matter, uh, we do so with author and journalist Terry Glavin, who joins us on the line. Hi, Terry. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. Glad to have you on to... uh, to get the latest here from you, uh, your your current piece that I read in the Ottawa Citizen, of course, you are a journalist with the Ottawa Citizen and the National Post, uh, also a contributing editor with Maclean's magazine. Um, there's some cute confusion. I saw in your article that we're the lone holdout as far as yeah. the five eyes. And, and some say, well, no, no, New Zealand still is a holdout as well. Where is New Zealand on no, this? No, no, no,
1: no, 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 no. New Zealand, I think, was actually the first to say no, they've been, you see, little New Zealand, there's, you know, they're stuck way down there off the coast of Australia in Australasia. And mm-hmm. China's a big deal for them. They've got to be really, really careful. So when they, what, how they approached it was, was actually very straightforward and, and, and simply. And that is the telecoms that they would admit into their fifth generation uh, 5G Internet connectivity rollouts had to meet a certain threshold for security, and uh, uh, Huawei simply didn't make the cut. And they said, "Sorry, you can't come in." <laughs> Simple. Um, so no, without uh, it being
0: political, is that what I'm hearing here? Like yeah, just in terms of the security of, Yeah, they, they're yeah.
1: very, very. I mean, you've seen what China's done, you know, and the kind of retaliation for that well. That it's that it's uh, embarked upon in uh, in in punishing Australia for merely suggesting that there should be an ind- independent investigation into the origins of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, you know, massive trade retaliation, uh, threats of uh, you know students would boycott Australia, tourists wouldn't come to Australia. Uh, grain, barley, beef, you know, nice little country here, shame if anything should happen to it. So, yeah, New Zealand doesn't want to, is trying to avoid a scrap, but they're totally on side. Their intelligence agencies are completely on side. And uh, New Zealand has actually seen the sharp end of the stick um, uh, on Chinese infiltration and recognized it and uh, has done a fairly good job trying to root it out, much better than Canada has, by the way.
0: So where does that leave Canada?
1: We're alone. Uh, we're alone on any number of uh, fronts in the uh, what is shaping up to be a fairly existential struggle between the world's liberal democracies and the People's Republic of China. Uh, in the matter of Huawei, we have to remember that you know we—it's only in countries certain. People in Canada will describe Huawei as a private company. Not, you know, they don't even do this in China anymore. This is a fiction. It has been for some time. Um, the uh, British have now said uh, no way. After a few months ago, you might remember the British said, okay, you know, we don't like this Huawei business all that much. British Telecom has already torn out their gear. What we'll let them do is we'll let them have a third of the outer ring of the 5G, uh, networks and, uh, you know, the MI six and, and MI five and the communications, uh, establishment and the, uh, and, and the British, the, the conservative party opposition said, Whoa, that is crazy. You've got to understand how 5G works. That's not going to happen. This is bad. And so the British, uh, uh finally said Boris Johnson, uh, the day before yesterday, said that's it. Um, they're not. Uh, we're going to rip them, rip out all their gear by 2027. That's the law, and part of it does have to do with the fact that it, the Americans have been very clear uh, with all of its allies. You know, if you, if you, if you draw Huawei to your bosom, you will not be a friend of ours. <laughs> And the interesting thing about this is that this is actually something the Americans have been saying for for I think, if I'm not mistaken, thirteen years now. I wrote my first story about Huawei uh, violating sanctions, engaging in subterfuge in Iran, setting up dummy companies, providing the Iranian regime with gear that allowed it to spy on its uh, on, on dissidents and subversives. Um, I, I, I'm going to say 10 years ago, it might be nine and a half years ago. This comes straight wow. out of the Obama administration. Canada was warned, we've been warned year after year after year, that Huawei is, is, is toxic, it's it's radioactive, no good will come of this. But we thought we were clever, right? We We looked at all the money that Huawei was promising, all the campuses that it was promising to open, Uh, we thought we could just look down our noses at the vulgar Americans and say, ha-ha, well, we're going to benefit from your uh, vigilance in national security because we don't care. We like China. We've always liked China. You know, uh, Pierre Trudeau, you know, the groovy guy from back in the the 60s, went and uh, danced around with Mao while Nixon was, uh, you know, uh, uh, biting his tongue. It's kind of bred in the bone with um, a certain uh, faction of the sort of political class in Canada. Questions that would ordinarily occur to you and me on any of these issues—they just these are these questions don't even occur to them. <laughs>
0: It's really quite mind boggling as you're uh, explaining this story to me. I'm going, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but I mean, even if it saves billions, if it if it seems like the easy, the path of least resistance at the end of the day. A, a, a country w- who would take Canadians prisoner and hold them yeah. uh, are, are, are are the root and at the base because Huawei, as you say, not a public company. This is a state uh, uh, company. Uh, everything in China yeah, is state-run.
1: Con- yeah, pretty well, yeah. I mean, they—they, yeah. they, um, you know, ninety-seven percent of uh, Huawei shares are owned by something called the Huawei Trade Union Committee. There's no such right. thing as an independent trade union in China. The trade union committee reports directly to the Organization Department of the Politburo of the Communist Party of China. They've been granted access to $30 billion in a line of credit. They get all the perks of an exclusive market in China, um, and they get the Chinese government to do their strong arm work for them in securing uh, infrastructure and surveillance contracts around the world. Um, yeah, this is, a, this, is a, this is a bad bit of business. These are not nice people. They are engaged in genocide at the moment yeah. In East Turkestan, they're engaged in, in organ harvesting, in the persecution of religious minorities, the bulldozing of ancient mosques and churches. They've just taken over Hong Kong, for God's sake. Yeah. One of the greatest and freest cities on the face of the earth has now been basically occupied, uh, it's taken over by the Chinese Ministry of
0: State Security yeah, they've unilaterally um, and, you know, violated the deal there, right? why would yeah, why would completely. we make a deal with a with a country that would unilaterally uh, just violate cause the, 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 there seem to be no rules unless the rules apply to those who would deal with China as opposed to the other way around. Jody Vanson for Mike this week, and we're continuing our chat with Terry Glavin, who is the author, journalist, uh, he writes for the Ottawa Citizen, National Post, contributing editor for Maclean's Magazine, and senior fellow at Raoul Wallenberg Centre for Human Rights. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, what the the federal Green Party put out uh, this morning, Terry, you alerted me to. Yeah,
1: it's really bizarre. (laughs) And I don't mean to pick on the Green Party, but it's actually quite emblematic of the way a lot of Canadians who you would think should know better um, talk about the Meng Wangzhou case. Uh, in the case of the Green Party, you know they're sort of taking a leaf from uh, a, a, a page from the proposal that John Cretchen, John Manley, Alan Rock, uh, all of these you know creatures from the Upper Cretaceous period of the Mesozoic era uh you know came out with a, a few weeks ago saying that uh, we should trade uh uh Meng for Michael Kavrig and Michael Spaver um what's really going on here you know sort of in the deeper background is that the they, there there's this uh, a massive overburden of uh, corporate and international trade and the foreign policy establishment, uh, you know, very intimately associated with the leadership of the Liberal Party. And I don't mean to pick on the Liberal Party, but that's just the way it is. And they, uh, they're, the difficulty that they have been presented with um, in the, uh, the kidnapping of the two Mikes is that they have been exposed uh, for this fact and it is that they have not been right once in the last quarter of a century in anything that they have had to say, and in any of the advice that they have given about China. Uh, the the difficulty that we're in, the reason why uh, Xi Jinping thought that he could just, you know, kidnap a couple Canadians and and then Trudeau would pick up a, a uh, the, the 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 telephone and call a judge and. and and tell the judge to let Meng Wanzhou go is because the Chinese leadership has been listening to the Mm. advice of people like John Kretchen and John Manley and all those guys. And so there is this kind of thing in Canada and it's really quite tragic um, that, 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 you know, a lot of people haven't quite woken up to this. They should really listen to the public reports, read the public reports that CSIS... Uh, has released over the last few years about elite capture in Canada and so on. Um,
0: what does that mean? This, Can you explain that?
1: Yeah, the the degree to which um, the Chinese Communist Party, by uh, influence peddling, throwing enormous amounts of money around, uh, providing appointments, uh, lucrative appointments, uh, to various corporate boards and, 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 and think tankery uh, in Canada uh, is such that the elites in Canada had been more or less captured. The, 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 the elites that deal with foreign policy and international trade and China had essentially been captured uh, by, by Chinese influence. Um, and you know, this, uh, this is just, I'm not, you know, this isn't me talking. This is, uh, the Canadian security and intelligence service talking. And by the way, it's also what tens of thousands of Chinese Canadians have been trying to explain to the rest of us, uh, for some long while now, the degree of persecution, intimidation, harassment that, uh, the Chinese, uh, uh, Chinese agents and the United Front Work Department in Canada has been engaged in is absolutely horrific. So that's the re- uh, the background, and so yeah. along comes the Green Party, and you know we have this idea of Canada this groovy sort of earth tones. You know trudeau type country, and has demanded the Green Party is demanding that the u s administration drop all charges against Meng Zhou and that uh, the um, the Justice department be instructed to instruct the the judge to recuse herself or to to vacate the case and va- and, and Meng Wang Zhou should be allowed to go home now. A couple of things wrong with this, just from a purely factual point of view. The uh, charges against Meng Wanzhou were not brought against her by the U.S. administration. Trump cannot drop charges against Meng Wanzhou. Right. Trump didn't even know the extradition request was being put to Canada. The investigation goes back 13 years. And... May I say, Meng Wanzhou is guilty as sin. <laughs> That's the reason why she and the, the vast resources that, that she and Huawei have brought to, to, to uh, attempt to the uh, you know, effort to, to the extricate her yeah. herself yes. and to evade uh, charges in the United States are all about that fact. You know, we, we tend to talk about these things kind of backwards. Meng Wanzhou is free to leave Canada anytime. She can go where she wants. She doesn't have to, you know, put up with the the the, the aggravation of living in one of those two mansions that she owns in Shaughnessy. Right. But I'm afraid but she'll she's will be picked have up
0: re- en route. Yeah.
1: Well, she'll have to report herself to the American authorities at the Peace Arch border crossing.
0: Jody Vance in for Mike Smith this week. And boy, what's happening right now? Many moving parts, many moving pieces. This is why I love uh, live radio so very much. We had been set up here to have Baldry's beat a little bit early because we were counting down to Premier John Horgan's scheduled press conference, first at 10 a.m., then moved to 10.15. We were juggling things around uh, to make everything uh, fit properly in the program here. And then I just received a-, a text from Keith Baldry that said, Flash, Horgan is now not until this afternoon. The premier's call is running very long and if you're familiar with the premier's call that happens each and every thursday that's the call that premier john horgan has been consistently putting his foot down about the canada u.s border and uh, now likely about air travel to and from British Columbia and how we need to screen more, uh, four more flights flagged today in and around BC, uh, Kelowna to Edmonton. uh, So to Alberta as well. And then one incoming from South Korea with some suspected, uh, COVID-19 cases on board is screening, uh, being done well enough. And are people quarantining when they get here? Are, Are we facing more community outbreak as a result of this type of travel. And many people talking about this on social media. The number one question I'm receiving right now as people find out that tomorrow morning we will have a Dr. Bonnie Henry, our provincial health officer, join us at 9 a.m. Many people wanting to specifically ask about travel. Trouble is, it's not up to the province. That's a federal jurisdiction, uh, airlines, as are The Canada-U.S. border crossings, the land crossings. So uh, with all that in mind, we will have Baldry's Beat at its usual time at 10 a.m. today. Keith Baldry will join us. We'll get you an update on when Premier John Horgan's live press conference will be. We're hearing it will be this afternoon because the call with the premiers with the prime minister all the premiers speaking with the prime minister currently going long therefore postponing the scheduled 10 a.m and then delayed to 10 15 presser that we were shuffling things around for and i am so grateful for uh, vancouver city councillor sarah kirby young who was slated to come on later in the program we had conflicts there so uh we've just literally picked up the phone and uh connected now with uh councillor kirby young thanks for doing this
2: good morning jody you're having a dynamic day
0: it is a very dynamic day but I love this about radio because it's keeping people informed and that is what we want to do here and a hot topic this week certainly was a, a, a council meeting that involved a vote about what is becoming more and more a controversial uh, property, a, a controversial development at West Broadway and Birch. Can you give us a little background on what happened earlier this week?
2: Yeah, and I just want to be clear, I can't speak to the specifics of the rezoning application because I'm legally precluded from commenting on that, but I can certainly talk about the process that happened at council, so I'm happy to do that. Okay. Um, and what happened is uh, on Tuesday, uh, we convened our regular council meeting, or sorry, we convened a public hearing. Um, it's, it, the days do blend into each other because we're pretty much sitting every day, day and night right now, as you know, pretty long hours at mm-hmm. council. Um, and so we started off um, a reconvened public hearing on the Broadway and Birch project. Uh, the first night had happened Thursday night. Uh, late on Thursday, staff decided that they were going to uh, continue the hearing on the following Friday, last Friday. Um, I had a scheduled leave of absence that went for seven and a half, eight hours. Um, and when the hearing started, it's normal procedure. The mayor will ask any counsellors that have been absent if they have been able to review the proceedings and will be voting on an item. And I wasn't able to access the audio videotapes until Monday. And I said, I no, I wouldn't be voting because I hadn't had time to do all the due diligence, review the material. Um, And that standard practice and protocol, that happens regularly. Nothing unusual about that. Um, What was unusual is that the mayor halted the proceedings, suggested that we delay the decision, and then Councillor Christine Boyle suggested that we stop the entire meeting um, and delay any further discussion, asking questions of staff, um, because they really, for some reason, felt it was really important that every 11 councillor, every single one of the 11 councillors voted um, and didn't feel, which is our normal practice, that the remaining 10 councillors could carry on, with the business um, and just get that decision done.
0: So, with the consultation done and the speakers list closed, you are moving to a vote. Doesn't that put you in a position where you could discuss, you know, sort of how you plan to vote on no, Tuesday? No, you know,
2: you're you're not legally able to do it until the vote has been has finished and and that that hearing has been concluded. Those okay. rules are really are really really just
0: crystal clear clearly i'm not uh, up on the minutiae of those of those uh, rules in council because it feels like we went for so long kind of knowing where a vote would go even before there was consultation or speakers or any um, sort of council meeting for for that matter and and yet here we are not unusual for a councillor to miss a vote or abstain from voting you say
2: uh, no not unusual i mean um, in our schedule has been pretty crazy and and people and councillors regularly don't attend um, all all parts of all meetings, especially when it's something that's unscheduled and the day just gets scheduled the day before. As I said, I was on a scheduled leave of absence and um, people often miss meetings. We had a, a meeting yesterday. I would say it's probably one of the most important ones we've had. It was our council COVID response committee talking with our nonprofit housing partners around how we can deliver more housing units more quickly for homeless and, and people on really low income in the city. Probably one of the best and most important meetings we've had um, around COVID recovery. and The mayor missed that meeting entirely. So there's an example right there this week that happens often that counselors are um, aren't able to miss things, especially when meetings are scheduled last minute and people have already committed to uh, other commitments.
0: Yeah, the, the people have very full uh, jobs. And lives as well as their commitment uh, at council. For sure, it is very busy. I've talked to George Affleck at length about uh, the juggle, and the juggle is real. And he often tells me about the support staff that he had around him to sort of help him sift through all the many. I mean, you guys have had what 200 motions in two years. Is it even possible for you to watch every single solitary minute of of a council meeting that you missed? Would you not have others well, that le- would be able to? Well, it, it
2: is it is a huge challenge, and you know, for whatever reason, I I didn't get access to the video. I mean, I think it's. It's, you know, a lot of people know that, unfortunately, technical difficulties are not new to the city of Vancouver. No. Um, we've been played with a lot of them in, in our meetings. Yeah. And, and, you know, other people said, well, I can get the video. I couldn't get it. I communicated with the mayor's office on the weekend. I said, look, I've, you know, got time to decide on the weekend to review the tape. I can't get, I can't access it um, or it's not available to me. And, uh, and so it was pretty clear. But you are legally obligated. It's not a nice to do to sit and review seven and a half hours of video from a meeting you miss. It's an obligation if you're going to vote on a public hearing. They have a higher legal standard. Than our regular council meetings do and, and you need to do that and you're supposed to review all the correspondence that you get and come ready to make an informed decision.
0: Jody vanson for Mike Smith continuing our conversation with Vancouver City Councilor Sarah Kirby young and we're talking specifically about a vote that was to go down earlier this week about the West Broadway and Birch development know where the old Denny's was there for anyone who's uh, lived here for any amount of time you you likely have visited that spot um it is a, a key sort of space when it comes to the future of the Broadway corridor, especially with the fact that the Broadway subway line is inevitable. Later on in the show, uh, Sarah, we're going to have Brad West, the mayor of Port Coquitlam, on to talk about some of the developments that have been approved in Port Coquitlam. Certainly Port Coquitlam, much smaller scale than that of, of Vancouver, uh, for sure. But I was kind of asking him about the like, why does it feel like in other jurisdictions things move more quickly? And, and we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, for starters, how about a process that doesn't take this long? It feels like we've been talking about Broadway and Birch for years Literally, um, is there is there a Broadway plan in place even now, long term, that this building fits uh, the into? Broad, the, the development of the Broadway plan
2: is is underway, um, and that's happening now, and so that hasn't been completed yet. But I want to use a really current example. And yesterday, you know, we heard, you know, I mentioned council had a COVID response committee meeting, and we heard from the nonprofit sector loud and clear. And the one thing that they said. Is that uh, since the city has has you know gotten more actively involved in social and nonprofit housing and formed something called Baja, the Vancouver Affordable Housing Agency, that the number of city owned sites that are being made available to deliver that much needed housing has slowed down dramatically, and we heard loud and clear from the sector yesterday that you need to speed it up. You need to make right. a bunch of city sites available as quickly as, you, as possible. Don't do them one by one. Don't get involved in the logistics. Trust the nonprofit sector who have tons of experience in this to deliver it. Um, and get out of the way and enable them to, you know, bring those projects forward and streamline the regulations and the processes. And, you know, we're hearing that consistently, and it doesn't matter whether it's on market rental and it, or if it's on the social non-profit, which is the biggest need that we have in the city, and both are equally important. So, yeah, I think that the city needs to streamline our processes as much as we can, um, and we need to get out of the way, and, and especially for nonprofit housing, so important.
0: It is so important. And with this West Broadway and Birch location, it was already approved at 16 stories. And now it's the shooting up to 28 with the FSR that has even developers scratching their heads, wondering, you know, how is this density going to work long-term? And what is the vision for Broadway? Like, how do we start approving and building the tallest building on West Broadway without having a Broadway plan. Are we going to be a West Broadway of 20 20 to 30 story buildings, or are we going to be more what we see now, which is sort of up to an eight to 10 story building or grow to a 16 story building? Is there an opinion that is sort of prevalent within city council as to where what, what direction we are taking and can we do that without a, a definitive plan? Are we are we putting the cart before the horse here by trying to approve a building before we have a plan for West Broadway, I guess, is my question.
2: Well, I can't comment on the Broadway project again specifically because I've you know I've got to stay on the right side of the legal. But I'll say that I think that this is an issue the city is grappling with as a whole is where to put density and the different housing types that we need. And whether it's going to be rental towers in something like the Broadway area. Or it's more like, you know, missing middle housing and gentle infill you know, looking at our residential areas differently. So they don't, a single lot doesn't have a single family home, but it has, you know, townhomes, a laneway, multi-generational housing. You know, we allow um, stratas on single family lots for those types of units so that somebody can cash in their value and can have their kids and their grandparents live in the same lot. And, And looking for a lot more of those different types, whether it's triplexes, quadplexes. That's really the big conversation that we need. And the city of Vancouver, like we are at that moment in time where people, I think, are really grappling with the city that they knew and the city they loved and what the city of the future looks like. Um, And that's like, how do you continue to move forward when you have desperate housing needs? But people are pretty concerned about change and losing the character of their neighbourhoods. And we see that dialogue playing out over and over again on any public hearing project that we have coming to council.
0: We're with Sarah Kirby Young, the Vancouver City Councillor. If you want to chime on this, uh, get on the phone, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell uh, if you urgently have an opinion on this. Um, I have an opinion on this being a born and raised Vancouverite who I don't know what I would have done without those, uh, I, I'm going to say little crappy apartments that I loved in Kitsilano. On the slope down, I remember 2057 West 2nd, I had the crappiest little studio apartment that overlooked a laneway, had its own separate entrance. The kitchen was the size of a postage stamp. The bathroom was certainly nothing fancy, but I loved that. 400 square feet. And we don't have enough of those. We're so busy, you know, t- debating whether we should have towers or, or row homes or what have you. Like, why can't we put up more like and quickly approve those sort of four story, three story, two story uh, dwellings that, that that people can afford to rent as they move, hopefully, into what would be uh, purchasing a home either somewhere in Vancouver, as we had to do out in the suburbs.
2: Yeah, and I think it's really important to have people stay in their city, Jody. I mean we don't want people moving out and that means that we have to do things differently. We have to make way for people in a different way. Yeah. Like a single family home, it's it's a pipe dream for a lot of people. The ability to, to purchase a single family home with a green space in a backyard is just not there. It's
0: too expensive.
2: Right. Land is too tight in the city of Vancouver and we're just gonna have to make way for people.
0: So but making the zoning um more gentle density friendly without there being the screaming to 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 put up towers we need to urgently grow up this city towers 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 which leads to the debate and the nimbyism and the yimbies the yimbies and the nimbies are so busy fighting at city hall nothing's getting built yeah i i think
2: that's a huge part of it i mean there's so much division that's going on right now there's a lot of uh, stuff that gets thrown around on social media even the discussion we were having around um, you know, delaying this vote. And that was my point is I didn't want to delay the business of the city by a week. Um, and, you know, there's 10 councillors that could have gone on with that decision. So you got to wonder, I think the big story that um, on this on what went down with delaying that decision is why the mayor was so set on ensuring that every single vote was there on that project.
0: And it was specific to you, even when you're saying, no, no, don't delay it. I'm fine. You guys go ahead.
2: Yeah, it, it happens. I didn't think that because, you know, I was this, but I wanted to be the one to slow things down. Uh, you know, and to your point, we need to get housing, doesn't matter what kind of housing or what project it is, but we need to move projects
0: along as quickly as we can. Yeah, we need to move forward with it. And you've taken quite a bit of heat ever since that meeting, haven't you? Oh, have we lost Sarah? Let's try and reestablish, Sarah. I'm, I'm, I'm here. Curve. Oh, there I'm you here. are. Oh, sorry. It, sound as, <laughs> it sounds as though somebody was like trying to call in on your phone there. Yeah, no, no. Um,
2: tech, tech glitch. No, but I mean, there's a lot of trolls on social media and people have said, well, why didn't you just lie and said you reviewed the tape or you can just read a summary? And, you know, sometimes people don't understand all the rules that we have to follow. But, you know, legally, they're there for a reason. And, you know, I don't think that's a good suggestion. It's like I, I've got to do stuff by the book and you are legally required to watch all of that audio. Um, and council has the ability to move forward and make decisions as long as there's quorum. Um, And there's, you know, more than 50% plus one of councillors there. Business can carry on.
0: And 50% plus one. And certainly that existed with the 10 councillors sitting at that meeting. And if you had said, you know, I abstain here, but you 10 go ahead. So then in my mind, and I know you can't comment on this, the mayor must have expected it to be a split vote, which would then take that 28 stories off the table and, and push it back to the original zoning of 16 stories. That's a big question. That, that's a big I question. Think, okay. I, think, I think that's I just a big question.
2: I think the point here is that this is the one time. I've never heard of another instance where councils delayed the business um, because one councillor couldn't participate.
0: So interesting. And then, uh, so I guess this is a conversation we need to have with the mayor, but, but the mayor then wouldn't be able to comment on this until after Tuesday so, as well. Yeah, we're
2: we all legally precluded from commenting on the specifics of the application of that one project. We can talk about rental housing policies in general. We can talk about, you know, the procedure of how the hearings happen, but, you know, as to whether or not a project, how someone's going to vote, if they think it's a good project or not a good project, then, yeah, we're not legally able to comment on that until a vote has been taken.
0: Okay, so I've got a question for you that has nothing to do with West Broadway sure. and Birch. What's your position as a Vancouver City Councillor who's very invested in the area that is West Broadway in terms of you've you've lived it. You're you, you know, you're you're invested in all over Vancouver. Clearly you're giving a big chunk of your life to to s- civil service here in in municipal politics. How do you envision what what is your vision for what West Broadway should look like? Are we a road of towers or are we a little bit more gentle in our density?
2: I I want to see diversity in housing choices across the city um for all neighborhoods. And so that means, you know, that means some towers, that means some infill housing, that means, you know, quadplexes and tri and, you know, triplexes and duplexes and infill housing and, and I want complete communities as well. I think one of my biggest concerns is making sure that we're keeping pace with things like parks and community centers. Um, we've right. seen with COVID how important those green spaces are. So you have to have a plan for your communities that you're actually not just going to put people into, into boxes and into houses, but you're actually going to give them spaces to recreate. And I think I would say that about all of the city, because yeah. people are going to live but in the subway line spaces and they can right, be well-designed, the is- but they still need amenities. Yeah.
0: True enough. Well, I really thank you uh, for your time. And you know what, we'll probably be reaching out with you uh, for you again on Wednesday after the vote happens on the 21st. Good (laughs) luck to you, Sarah. Thank you for doing this. Thanks, Jody. Have a good show. Jody Vanson for Mike Smith this week. And uh, never a bad time for good news during a pandemic, even if that good news comes with caution, as we all must remain vigilant, even in the face of this new serology study uh, commissioned by the Provincial Health Office, uh, certainly showing some positives with regard to uh, how the virus, how COVID-19 has or has not been spreading through our province, and and what makes us unique uh, when compared to all other jur- jurisdictions across North America, believe it or not. To break it down for us, none other than CKNW's senior reporter on this story, uh, Janet Brown, joining us on the line. Hi, Janet.
3: Good morning, Jody. And you're right, it is good news. And I think everybody is uh, happy to receive some good news when it comes to COVID-19. But as you say, also some caution attached to it, as always, from Dr. Bonnie Henry. Let's break down this uh, study a little bit, Jody, for the listeners. Uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix says the findings of this study uh, basically reinforces that BC is indeed on the right track when it comes to dealing and tackling COVID-19. The study suggests that eight Times And I think that's really surprising. Eight times as many people have been infected with the novel coronavirus than the rate of the reported cases. Uh, this study was done over the last couple of weeks by researchers at the BCCDC, UBC, Life Labs, public health scientists, and they were looking at blood samples collected for reasons unrelated to COVID-19. Now, what it all means, Jody, according to the lead researcher, Dr. Danuta Zaronsky, is there's been a very low transmission of the virus in B.C., less than 1%. Here's more of what she has to say.
2: Uh, We found about eight times more infections than reported cases, suggesting that the surveillance data showing that we have amongst the lowest per capita case and death rates not only in Canada but in North America, overall uh, fewer than one in 100 Uh, Residents of the lower mainland, based on our findings, were infected during the first wave.
3: Jody, provincial health officer Dr. Bonnie Henry was also at the news conference this morning in Victoria. Here is what she says about the study's findings.
4: The challenge we have with serology is your body doesn't develop immune, these um, antibodies until two to four to six weeks after an infection. So there's no way you can use this type of uh, study to understand ahead of time what's happening. You can only use it to help you understand what happens in retrospect. So it, it, um, And that's why it's been such a challenge around the world, to uh, get this type of data, there are many, there's at least 150 or 60 different serology tests that are looking for different antibody, different parts of the antibody, but the reality is um, they're, they're not reliable at all early on, and so you have to wait at least a month after The bulk of infections to have a good understanding of what's going on or what happened in your community. And that's why we, we picked, um, May, the, the week in May that we went to our phase two, um, because we were at least a month past the peak of the infections that we had here in BC
0: oh man janet that answers so many questions people have been screaming for serology tests for so long can we not find out if we had it was that flu i had earlier this year mm-hmm. really COVID 19 and why dr henry just kept putting it at bay she kept saying we do not have a reliable enough test and really this explains it even further that we also didn't have a reliable enough window for those antibodies to uh, actually appear in the samples You know what, Jody? If,
3: if we take the findings of this study and apply them to the whole province, guess what? It could mean that 28,000 people have had the novel coronavirus. 28,000 people. And of course, you know, we're just reporting 3,100 or so cases of COVID-19 have been confirmed So far. But you know, you make a good point, Jody. A lot of people I'm hearing, and I'm sure you are our listeners, you know, they're saying, you know what? I was really, really sick back in January. I've never been sick like that before. Maybe it was the novel coronavirus. And now these findings suggest hey, maybe, maybe you did have it back in January or February. And maybe that weird illness that you were suffering with for so long, or maybe just a couple of days, or, you know, strange symptoms, maybe you did have it. Who knows, right? We just don't know.
0: And this this inches us ever closer to finding out more about this emerging virus, this novel coronavirus, and having this study out of UBC uh, gives us so many answers. uh, And yet, Many more ads, many more questions to the table as well. We do have uh, both Dr. Bonnie Henry and uh, the lead author of this study, uh, Dr. Duanta uh, Krowanski, uh, is going to join us tomorrow morning. Dr. Henry is on at 9 a.m. And uh, uh, Dr. Krowanski is going to join us at 9.30 uh, to sort of further unpack this. Uh, Janet, an emerging story, though, uh as, as well as and attached to this that I was talking to Keith Baldry with earlier, and I know you and I are um, very active on Twitter with regard to COVID-19 cases. And and I'm wondering if your inbox is filling up, like Keith referenced, his is as is mine. Prior to maybe the last week, it has all been about long-term care homes and access there. And since the the phase three opening or the uh, the coming um uh, bookings and appointments that one can make uh, one person from each family can make to access their loved ones in long-term care homes. Now everything's shifted to the travel and to the borders. are you getting the same blowback from uh, your uh, Twitter or uh, for listeners who uh, email you? Absolutely, Jody.
3: I mean, people really want those borders to remain closed. And I know just on the 1030 newscast with Terry Shintz that I was listening to, uh, now we're hearing that the borders will indeed stay closed till at least August 20th. And I think that's really good news for a lot of people. That's exactly what people are talking about. Oh, please, you know, let the borders remain closed. And while people love to go shopping in Bellingham and Seattle and make a few trips down to Disneyland and Arizona and Palm Springs, etc. At the same time, time, they are really, really happy that those borders are staying closed. Uh, Let me leave you with this uh, one thought too, Jody, before we wrap things up here. Uh, This study is really suggesting a dual-edge question, a low level of transmission but also very few people with antibodies to deal with any potential future spikes of COVID-19. That was one of the things pointed out by Dr. Henry Mm. as well. So, you know, another reminder that we cannot take our foot off the pedal, uh, just because this is good news, just because there's been a low level of transmission, we have to remain cautious. You know, some people are going to hear this and they're going to go, great, you know, uh, it's pretty well gone. And I hear that from a lot of people too. And I find that very concerning. No, we have to remain vigilant and uh, stay on top of this and be very careful as you know the warmer weather comes and people are outside more wanting to get together with friends at the beach in their backyards etc so let's be very careful as the weeks tick on here
0: I'm so glad you brought that up, Janet, because that is a big piece of this, the false sense of security that that we seem mm-hmm. to fall into when we have a piece of good news, that double-edged sword here. The reason why we have been so successful here is because... As a society, as a community, uh, we have all bought in, like really all in on the directives of Dr. Bonnie Henry. And we maintain the messaging it needs to be uh, continued going forward, forward in the keeping the group small. Uh, me- uh, few Faces, Big Spaces is the big one that you can share with the, with the youth in your world. Because I find that the, the teens and 20-somethings are struggling uh, with the the restrictions of this not not a huge surprise that that would be the case uh, but also we stick to what has worked thus far with managing covid-19 washing hands physical distancing staying home if you're sick no exceptions and also uh, having that face covering if physical distancing is not uh, uh, possible here as we open up in phase three all things to keep in mind and always a pleasure to speak with you janet to uh, to inform our listener with the very latest facts i really do appreciate you taking some time out here
3: my pleasure thank you jody take care